I am glad that we get to be here as a church family and to reflect on things that God wanted us to know about and to think about. He'd give us texts like the one that Bill read for us from Isaiah 64, which we're going to reflect on for the next little, little bit today. I'm glad you're here, and I pray that God will bless you and us as a church family, and God will be working in us to do His will in this community. You're probably like most of us. You get frustrated sometimes with waiting. As I mentioned earlier, it can be trivial. It can be waiting for an appointment, waiting for traffic, waiting for someone to get to where he or she needs to be. It can be something like that, but I'm not really talking about that. I don't think that's what's really in mind in the text. I'm thinking more about bigger things. You ever get tired of the world as it is? You know, the older I get, the more I realize that the moment that we're in is not that extraordinary in that the things that we're dealing with are not that different from what we were dealing with 10 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. They change the way they manifest, perhaps, but, but, but the same kind of instinct has always been around. People are frustrated with the world as it is. If you look at the headlines this morning, if you read them this last week, you watched the news over the past couple of weeks, there are things that are in the news. Political issues, political struggles, loss of, a lack of integrity, a lack of ethics, a lack of morality in people in running for office or who've been elected to office or people who are in positions of power because of their money or their accomplishments or their gender or whatever. It gets frustrating, doesn't it? I mean, you look around at this stuff and you're like, man, Lord, why don't you, why don't you do something about this? Maybe God's answer to that is, I am doing something. I think that's probably how he'd answer us. But, but, but we want you to do it differently. We want you to do it more loudly, more clearly, more demonstrably, you know, stuff that's going on in the world. You, sometimes there are people who are doing things and there's stuff going on. There's, you know, the, the posturing, the political posturing of people in other countries or in our own country or whatever. But, but maybe it's a little bit closer to home sometimes. Maybe it's, maybe it's more like this. Maybe some of you, some of us in this room are tired of waiting on God to act in a different kind of way. You're not so much concerned with world problems as you are your problems, stuff you're dealing with, people who are hurting, who are facing physical issues, surgery, diagnoses, whatever it is, and you think, Lord, I'm tired of dealing with this, I'm tired of my dad dealing with this, I'm tired of my sister, my child, my parents, I'm tired of the consequences of aging. I'm, I'm sick of all this stuff. Why don't you act? You know, I think you get that sense. I'm going to come to Isaiah 64 in a second, but I was thinking about the book of Revelation, for example, and how many times in the Bible, in the New Testament, you've got Christians saying, Lord, why don't you come, come, fix this, do this. The book of Revelation especially has that kind of note because the church was struggling. They were being persecuted. You get to the very end of the book. This is the very end of the Bible. All right, this is the last page of the last chapter. Last part of the Bible, Revelation 22. At the end of this, there's, there's a lot of this kind of tone in Revelation. Lord, we're struggling. What are you doing? Why aren't you doing this? At the very end of the book, Revelation chapter 22, in verse 20, he who testifies these things says, these are in red letters, okay? 
next few words are in red letters. This is Jesus talking. Surely I am coming soon. And this is John's response to that. Jesus says, John, church, people, Christians, I'm coming soon. And John says, Amen. Remember what he says after that? Come, Lord Jesus. So Jesus says to the church, Hang on. I'm coming. And John says, Come soon, Lord. You get that kind of feeling a lot. You get that kind of sense a lot. First Corinthians chapter 1, Paul to the church at Corinth. He says, Exercise your gifts while you wait on the coming of Jesus, on the revealing of the Lord Jesus. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, and um, I appreciate uh, Tracy's thoughts a few minutes ago prior to communion. And my mind went, went here to 1 Corinthians 11 during that time as well where, where, where Paul is reflecting with the church about, about communion. And, and he says, we proclaim the Lord's death. Remember this part? You know, until He comes. Until He comes. There's, there's always this forward look. Even communion, which as we normally reflect on it, it's an introspective thing. We look within. We look to Jesus and, and also there's a sense of looking ahead to the coming of Jesus. There's a much, much of a forward focus in the Bible. It's just an interesting thing. And so it should come as no surprise when we read texts like this in Isaiah 64, prior to the coming of Jesus, that there would be this anticipation. Now we can relate to what they're dealing with in uh, ancient Israel. Let's, let me set the stage for you uh, as far as the context of Isaiah 64. What's going on here? You read this and you think, I wonder what they were dealing with. Well, we don't know specifically what they were dealing with, but we can get a, kind of get a sense. Probably these words were prayed by Israel, by Judah, in the days after they came home from Babylon. Remember that story in the Old Testament? They had been rebellious for a long time. God finally said, I've had enough. Sends them away into captivity for 70 years in Babylon, and then they repented and they cried out to God. And God had said, if you call out to me from that land, I'll bring you back. So after 70 years, God brought them back. And he brought them back to Jerusalem. They started rebuilding the wall, started rebuilding the temple, had some problems. There was discouragement and all that. I think it's during that time when these words were prayed. I think. They're there. You know, they finally got back. Man, they wanted to come back. They didn't like it in Babylon. A lot of them didn't. We want to go back to Jerusalem. When are we going to get to come back? Well, God said, okay, you can go back. So Cyrus issued this edict, and he brought the people back. They came back after having been gone for a long time. Some of them had, had never seen Jerusalem, had never been home because they were born in captivity. Anyway, they got home. And then there's always this anticipation. When they're in Babylon, they want to go home. And when they get home, they, they cry out to God again. But Lord, it's not what we expected. Why don't you do something bigger and better? More clear, you know, do it more clearly, do it more loudly, do it something. This isn't exactly what we want. I think it's a part of the human condition that we always want something more. We always want God to do something bigger and better. We always want Him to act in some sort of way that's more demonstrative, you know? It's, it's part of the struggle. We're always looking ahead. But there's nothing wrong with that as long as we look at it in the right way. Now, if you got your Bible open, and as I often say to you, You'll get more out of this if you look at your Bible. Because I want you to look at the text. This is coming from God. Judah was confused by God's delay. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't know why God wasn't doing something bigger and better. Do you, did you feel the emotion when we were reading this earlier? I love the way it begins in verse 1. Oh. O-H. Oh. That you would rend the heavens. Oh, I wish you would 
rend the heavens. Isn't that an interesting phrase? What does he mean by that? There's a lot of fire language here. I, I think what he's talking about is, I wish, Lord, you're up there on your throne. You're reigning up there and, and all that, but we need you down here. I wish you would rend that. I wish you would tear the heavens and you would come down here. And notice this language here. I love this. That you would rend the heavens and come down. You're up there. We need you down here. All sorts of stuff going on down here. Have you ever felt like that? Lord, there's, there's pretty serious stuff going on. And we know he's here. But don't you want him to be here visibly sometimes? Some sort of clear way? Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountain might quake at your presence. I, I don't want it to be some subtle thing. I don't want to, there to be any kind of doubt about who's doing this thing, Lord. I want people to know this is being done by God because there is no denying it. The mountains are shaking for crying out loud. Who's going to do that except God? So the mountains are, are quaking, he says. Or we want that to happen. We, we want you to come and make the mountains quake again. Like when fire kindles brushwood, you've got this, this flame that's spreading quickly. And you put a, put a pot of water on the fire and it begins to boil. It's clear there's fire here. There's action here. God is doing something here. The mountains are shaking. But look at this. He says, I want you to do this so you make your name known to the adversaries. Sometimes, I'll be honest, sometimes when I'm reading some of the well-known atheists or I'm watching some sort of program on YouTube and it's defying God is talking badly about God or about Christ or it's saying that God isn't there. Sometimes I find myself thinking, Lord, why don't you rend the heavens? Why don't you make the mountains shake? Why don't you make the fire to burn? Why don't you make the water to boil? Let there be no doubt, Lord. Why are you sometimes, why do you sometimes make your presence known in such subtle ways. You've done it before. Why don't you do it again? Make the mountain shake. Speak from heaven. Do something. Work some sort of undeniable miracle. Isn't that what, isn't that what the rich man wanted in Luke's story? Rich man and Lazarus, remember the story that they were, uh, Lazarus is the beggar, was poor, had nothing. Rich man had everything he needed. They both died. Rich man found himself in a place of torment. And he, he said something like this, I think. You know, from, from torment. He said, I've got these brothers. Lord, let, you know, go back from the grave. Let Lazarus go back from the grave. Do something demonstrative, Lord, to convince them. Sometimes I want that. I'm guessing you probably are like me in that respect. That seems to me what they're doing. And I want you to make your name known to the adversaries. These people who oppose you, just make yourself known to them. Lord, let them see you, that the nations might tremble at your presence. Notice again this, this, um, this common language coming up. That you might come down and, and the mountains might quake with your presence, verse 1. I want you to come down so that the nations might tremble at your presence, verse 2. And he says, verse 3, you've done this before. Verse, when you did awesome things that we didn't look for, you came down. You've done this before. The mountains quaked at your presence. Again, see that language? Lord, tear the heavens up. Come down here and make the mountains quake. Make yourself known to the adversaries so that they might tremble in your presence. And we know that in the past, you did make the mountains quake. We've read about it in the book of Exodus when you came down and the Mount Sinai quaked and there was thunder and lightning smoke and all that. You've done it in the past. Why don't you do it now? 
Seems to me that's what he's asking for. Judah is confused by God's delay. He goes on in verses 4 and 5, and he, he starts talking about, uh, verse 4, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, uh, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. We know that you're the only God. But then he gets introspective a little bit. He says, you act for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, verse 5. In other words, we, we know we have a responsibility as we anticipate your coming that we need to be involved in doing what is right. I'll come back to that in just a second. And then he goes through this period of prolonged confession. He says, you were angry and we sinned. We've been in our sins for a long time. In verse 6 he says, we've all become like one who's unclean. We are, he's confessing sin. But then, I'll come back to that in a second, but then at the end of this, in verses, what, 8 through, through the end of the chapter? Verse 8, he says, But now, O Lord, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. It's almost like he comes back to himself and he says, Okay, we need to remember who we are. We're just clay. He's the potter. We're, 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 just, we're just children and he's the Father. And he comes back to God and he says, he says, you're the father, you're, you're the potter. We submit to you. Please don't forget about us. Treat us like a father does his sons, his daughters. Treat us like a potter does the clay. Just act. And he comes full circle at the end of this in verse 12 and he says, how long are you going to keep silent? And afflict us so terribly. We don't have time to do it today, but I want you to know this. If you read on in Isaiah 65 and the following chapters, there's a bit of an answer to this. I know chapter 64 ends on a note of uncertainty. Lord, how long are you going to be silent? You stop there. You've got to stop somewhere when you're preaching the Bible, right? Because there's a lot there. But it stops there. How long are you going to be silent? Well, if you read on in chapter 65 and chapter 66, you've got this, this note of confidence. Yes, God is going to act. We know that. And he does. Jesus comes. There's this anticipation. So Judah was confused. We are sometimes, perhaps, confused as well. Now come back to us now. That's, that's what the text is talking about. Let's come back to you and me. What, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I think we do what they did. We, we are frustrated at times. We look at the world that seems to be digressing. Doesn't it always seem like that? I mean, I wonder if people 50 years ago thought, you know, the world's getting better and better. I, I'm, I'm serious. I wonder if sometimes that's uh, maybe something people always do. Like, uh, you don't hear a whole lot of people talking about, oh, well, politics, you know, people in, in, in Washington, they're getting more and more righteous every year. I never hear that. So maybe there's this, this, this kind of thing that we, we always feel like the world is digressing. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I know this, you and I sometimes get frustrated with the world around us. And we want God to act. What do we do? What do we do with that, that feeling? I think this is one thing we ought to do. We ought to say things like this. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake in your presence. I think we ought to pray prayers like that. Keep praying them. Keep praying them. Are you praying that God will act demonstrably, visibly, clearly, in the world today, you look around you at the corruption and the de depravity. Let's not give up hope as a church just because God hasn't acted 
as we want him to doesn't mean he's not acting and doesn't mean he's not going to act in ways that are consistent with his will. So pray the prayer. Plead for his intervention. Pray for God to make the mountains to shake and for his adversaries to tremble in his presence. Pray that God will intervene in ways that are consistent with his will for the world. Pray that prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens. Pray that prayer. But that's not where he stops. He, he doesn't just, just stop there. In fact, he says, we wait. We wait on you, Lord. We trust in you, Lord. But we're going to wait actively. Look at this. He says, this is the kind of God we serve. Look at the end of verse 4. All right, I want you to see this. No one has seen a God beside you. No one has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. Right? Who wait for him. In the Bible, it doesn't matter where you are, people are always waiting on God. There's always something to look forward to as far as God is concerned. God is always going to act. He is acting and He will act. We know He's doing stuff now, but we know He's going to do more stuff later. That's that kind of thought. And in the New Testament, you've got this. I mentioned to you 1 Corinthians 1. Hey, work on your gifts. Work on exercising your gifts while you wait for Him to come. You take the Lord's Supper every, every week. Why do you do that? In part, you do it because you're waiting on Him to come. At the end of the book of Revelation, where they're crying out, Lord, we're hurting. We're hurting. And Jesus says, I'm coming. And the response is, Lord, come. Come quickly. So you plead with his, for His intervention, but you wait actively. And so He says He acts for those who wait for them. And this is not some sort of passive thing. You just sit, sit down and just kind of, Lord, you know, I'm waiting on you to do something here. I'm waiting on you to feed these hungry people. I'm waiting on you to deal with these people who are on the margins over here. I'm waiting on you to, to share the God. I'm waiting for you to you know, speak like you did with Saul on the road to Damascus. I'm waiting on you, Lord. I don't read that in the Bible, do you? It's not that kind of passive waiting. This uh, Waiting in the Bible is not a, not a sitting in your chair kind of thing. It's, it's doing the work of God in the moment where you are. That, and think about this for a second. A lot of times, that's how God acts. Is the acts through people. How does God feed the poor? I'm not, I'm not trying to sell God short like He can't do something He chooses to do. I'm just suggesting to you that it's been my experience that God a lot of times acts through good people like you. Through churches like this one. And He acts through people who are going to share the gospel with a friend. He acts through people who are going to visit the hospital. And He's going to go see the shut-ins. And He's going to go to the nursing home. He's going to go to the, to the funeral home. That God is acting as he, 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 he works through you. Through us. And so we wait for Jesus to come back. We look forward to that day. We hasten for the coming of the day of God, to use Paul, Peter's words in 2 Peter 3. So we do that. We take the Lord's Supper and we think a little bit about the second coming. We pray, Lord, why don't you come? Come quickly, Lord. We're tired of this world as it is. Why don't you go ahead and come? But what do we do while we're waiting? We wait actively. We do kingdom work now in anticipation of the kingdom coming with all of its fullness someday. So we do kingdom work in the moment. He acts for those who wait for him, who meet him with joy, who joyfully, uh, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness, doing righteous things. Those who remember you in your ways, verse 5. People are waiting, they're doing, they're working righteous acts, and they are remembering his ways. So we wait actively. What do we do while we're waiting? We do kingdom work. Here's what, something else that he mentions in the text. We confess. We confess our sins. I think we probably don't do enough of this, by the way. 
corporate confession. Maybe not individual confession either. But I think both are implied here. And you see a lot of this in the Bible. You see a lot of confession of sin. So, did you notice that? He says, basically, you were angry and we sinned. Maybe this is why you're not acting as clearly as we want you to. Because we are unrighteous. We're, we're not living as we ought to be living. And sometimes that does prevent God from working in certain venues, right? If we are impeding God in some way by our wickedness or by our unrighteousness. Anyway, he says, you were angry and we sinned. We've been in our sins a long time. Shall we be saved? By the way, the language here is very strong. You may have a footnote that indicates this. But um, we've all become one like who's unclean, verse 6. We don't deserve. What, what it means to be unclean is you can't be in the presence of God. That's what that means. Our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's a menstrual cloth, by the way. That's what, that's what this language means here. He's just talking about this. Um, this he's using language here to, to suggest, man, we are not what we ought to be. We are not what we ought to be. We have sinned. You are angry with us. We have not done righteously. And even when we do righteously, it is not enough. Even when we do righteously, our motives aren't right. So what do we do while we wait? We confess our sins. <clears throat> I mentioned a moment ago that, you know, I wonder if we do this enough. Maybe you do this a lot privately. We don't do it a lot corporately, do we? We don't do it a whole lot publicly. Maybe we should. Some, some, sometimes people historically in the Christian world, people have had corporate confession of sin. Where they did that a lot in the Bible. They did that a lot in the Old Testament where they would confess the sins of the people. Maybe we ought to have a, a service, a worship service, where we have this emphasis just on confession. Where we, we have prayers that are confessing the sins of, of us. You know? But that's what he's saying here. We are waiting. We want you to come. But in the meantime, we're going to be waiting actively. And in the meantime, we are going to be confessing. Because we know that sin hurts kingdom work. And so we're going to be confessing sin. So I'd urge you to do that individually. I'd like for us to do a little bit more of it corporately as the body of Christ who confess. Because we've been complicit in ways... Going, things that are going on in the world in ways that we should not have. Here's the last one, all right? We pray. Kind of where we started. At the end of the chapter, at the end of Isaiah 64, that's what he does again. Starts it off by saying, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down. Then he says, While we're waiting, we're going to be active. While we're waiting, we're going to be confessing. And while we're waiting, he comes back to it. He says, we're going to be praying. Verse 8, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. And so he prays again. So that, that's a pretty good way to organize your day. You get up in the morning and you say, O Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down and make your presence known. Let the mountains quit. You, you start your day with, a, with an appeal to God for, Lord, would you act today? Would you be working today? Would you be working in my life and the lives of the people around me? Would you be working in the world today? Please, Lord, rend the heavens with your coming and let everybody see you. So we pray that prayer in the morning. And then during the day, what do we do? We wait actively. We work righteousness. We do kingdom work. We serve those who Jesus served. We, we're, we're doing what Jesus did. We follow him. We're doing kingdom work. What do we do while we're waiting? We confess our sins every day. We confess our sins individually. And what do we do before we go to bed at night? We come back to where we started the morning. Lord, you are our Father. 
you are our potter. We submit to you. Lord, please do your will in us. Pretty good way to organize your day. You plead for his intervention. You do righteous deeds. You confess your sins. And then you pray. Everything sandwiched between these acts of falling down at the throne of God. Acting, asking for him to act in the world. And so we pray. The answer to this, as I mentioned earlier, Isaiah 64 ends on this note of, Lord, don't leave us struggling. The answer to that is, God did not, and he will not. God's answer to your prayer that God will intervene is he will intervene, and he is intervening. He's doing so in his own way and in his own time. One of these days, though, it could be today, it could be any day, one of these days, again, though, the mountains are going to quake at the presence of God. The adversaries of Jesus are going to tremble in his presence when the voice of the archangel, when the trumpet of God, and the shout of Jesus Christ, and the heavens are going to open, and Jesus is going to reveal himself, and he's going to descend once again, and the mountains will quake in his presence, and the adversaries will tremble at his presence, and God will ultimately do what we have been longing for and what we pray for. Even so, come, come, Lord Jesus. If you're not a Christian today, we invite you to come to faith in Jesus, to trust in Him, to submit to Him, to call Him your Lord and your Savior, to depend on Him, to follow Him, to be obedient to Him. We invite you to become a disciple of Jesus today. You do that by trusting in Him, turning away from your past, confessing Him, being baptized into Him, and He will forgive your sins. And you can live every day then in anticipation of His ultimate and final coming. That's how we live. We, we work in the moment, but we look for that day when He comes again. If you're ready to become a Christian or come back and, and pray or to uh, ask for prayers from your church family here, we'll do anything we can to help you. Let's stand. Let's sing.